How you doing? Good. Uh, ready to warm up? Yeah. All right, roll your shoulders. Here we go. We're in this series on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is the order of heaven invading the chaos of the earth. And we've been talking about very, various facets of living and ministering the kingdom life on this planet uh, in, in, in this lifetime. We talked about how to spread it around the world. And Jesus teaches us to look for, look for hot spots. You know, it's like you, you can't control how people receive you necessarily, but as you approach people and sort of offer kingdom truth and power, you can see some people are hot, some people are cold. Uh, search for the hot spots and make, make the most of them. The way that you increase the kingdom in your life, Jesus teaches us, is to give the kingdom away to other people. If you want to grow as a disciple, you must grow as a minister, period. There's no negotiation on this. As you give it away, you will receive it, right? You don't wait till, you know, you get fat in order to give stuff away. <laughs> uh, give stuff away, you get fat. That's the wrong analogy. Strong. All right, there you go. Um, and uh, today we're going to unpack a little bit some of the kingdom messaging uh, that Jesus taught us. Uh, in scripture. Thank you. She takes care of me. And she's that beautiful. So, so, yeah. It was our anniversary last week. Yeah, she was out of town, but it was our anniversary. 31 years, people. Yes, she was a child bride. It was creepy, but it worked out. <laughs> I was talking about the kingdom, I think. Uh, kingdom messaging, something about that. And we were going to warm up. That's it. Um, so uh, let's see. Here's a warm-up question for you. Are you satisfied with your life? satisfied with your life. You're satisfied with your life. It changes depending on how you say it. Be satisfied. How many of you are like, yeah, I'm satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied with how this sermon is shaping up. Um, I probably should have said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your life? Above 5? Above 7? Above 8? Below 5? It's my girl right there. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, would, I would put myself pretty low. I'm, I'm a very dissatisfied person. Um, which, I mean, you should be, the, the, the opposition is that you should be a thankful person, right? Uh, but I'm not sure that you also should not be dissatisfied. Let me, let me ask, let me take a different angle on this thing. Um, are you a lot different than you used to be? Well, let's just think about 10 years ago. You know, I, I, could, I could say 31 years ago for some reason, but I'll say 10 years ago. <laughs> Um, are, are you a lot different than you were 10 years ago? Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, like, oh, 10. I'm a world different. 100% change. 8. 
80% change. 50% change, five. 50%, 50% of things about you have changed significantly over the last 10 years. Um, the reason these are all interesting questions uh, with respect to the kingdom is that when Jesus introduced the kingdom, he sort of introduced this whole idea of change yourself with it. It's like, there's this thing called the kingdom of heaven on earth, change yourself. Um, they kind of went together. Uh, his uh, opening sermon is, at least uh, according to the Gospel of Matthew that we had, was the Sermon on the Mount. That was his opening lengthy sermon anyway. It takes about 20 minutes to read through it. Um, and his, you know, his opening line was, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, and it goes on to say, well, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, uh, you know, for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He sort, of, he sort of says, it's an advantage to be at a great deficit, right? It's an advantage to be poor and sad and hungry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, right? They're in a better position to receive the order of heaven amidst the chaos of life, which is sort of a shocking way to kind of start teaching the theology of the kingdom to the world, but that's how he did it. So I've been trying to minister the kingdom for a lot of years now, and, and, and I've reflected on this countless times, and I think the, the biggest challenge for me in ministering the kingdom to other people is when people settle. It's when people settle into the gray. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not when people are desperate. Um, and it's not when people are doing fantastically well. It's when they're just satisfied with mediocrity. They've lost their hunger. They've lost their poverty. They have enough so that they don't feel poor. Maybe they don't feel rich. Maybe they're not giving stuff away, but they're kind of right there. Um, so have you settled into the gray? Uh, is always an important question to ask. If you want change in your life, um, if you want to change the world, then you, know, you need to change yourself. It's pretty basic Christianity. Um, um, we have this saying in culture, be the change you want to see. You know that one? Be the change you want to see in the world. You know what the problem with that saying is? that people tend to suck at changing themselves. Like, be the change you want to see. Yes, I will recycle. But that doesn't really, ch that, that doesn't really change you, right? It doesn't make you a person of change um, in, in the sort of deep generative way that Jesus seems to talk uh, about. Um, do you guys know who M. Scott Peck is? Maybe those of you who are over 50 <laughs> remember M. Scott Peck. So M. Scott Peck was a psychiatrist, a PhD psychiatrist who did research. Uh, and uh, his topic of research, uh, nominally, was um, what makes people healthy, right? And you say, well, yes, obviously. But psychiatry up until a certain point was studying what makes people sick. And so he flipped it and it's like, well, what, what makes people healthy? And, and particularly in his case, what makes people grow well? in life. So like over time they get better. And that's what fascinated him as, as a researcher. 
uh, he wrote a, a famous book called The Road Less Traveled, which was stealing a line from a Frost poem. Um, the Road Less Traveled, meaning that some people have the knack for growing and getting better over their lifetimes, and then a lot of people don't. <laughs> Um, but those who take the road less traveled, who grow through life, end up being happier and stronger and more influential in good ways and stuff like that. And, and his research showed that what makes people grow best is a willingness to endure pain and sacrifice in order to update what he called your mind map. People stop growing because they refuse to change their mind their understanding of how life works, because changing your understanding of how life works is painful. And, uh, and people don't like pain as a rule. Uh, and then he took the research further, and it's like, well, what makes people really good at that? What, makes, what gives people that change capacity, you know, that willingness to endure pain and sacrifice in order to grow as a person? And he found amidst thousands of research subjects, that the people who were really excellent at updating unto growth, enduring pain in order to grow, were Christians. He discovered that Christians were fantastic at it, and other people sucked at it, generally. He was not a believer. In fact, he was an atheist. But in the course of this research project, he became a Christian. Because he was like, there is something to Christianity that is just fantastic. And then he wrote this book and spent the rest of his life being a Christian author and stuff. Cool. A cool book. Um, ever known someone like that that updated so grandly? Uh, I was thinking of a friend that we had in college, Katerina, um, who was a... Uh, uh, Tony and I were in a college fellowship together, and she was an early convert. She was a year older than us. She was a good friend of Sonia's, uh, ultimately. Very interesting character, um, just kind of wide open. Um, and she, I forget how she got involved with the group, but she was like, yeah, I'm not a believer, but you, this seems cool. You guys seem cool. And then at a certain point, I never forget, she stood up at a fellowship meeting once, and, and she said, you know, I've just been kind of making changes as I go uh, with you all and trying things out. And then I realized that I believe in God. And then I realized that God is in control of my life. And I just wanted you to know uh, that now I'm, I'm a Jesus follower and I can't imagine uh, ever, ever stopping. I just started making changes. And that led to belief, right? You think that you believe and then you start making changes, but it was the changeability that kind of led her into the kingdom of God. Anyway, this ability to make changes, this attitude of, of enduring pain in order to make updates to your life and grow, that's what the Bible calls, what's the word for it? Repentance. Repentance. And it's a word that was inextricably linked to kingdom preaching and work, at least in, in the Gospels. Do you know what the word repentance means? Anybody? To turn? Yeah. Almost everybody says that. It's not the literal definition in the Greek, but it's a very good uh, working definition. 
right? You want to make a turn in your life. You want to make a change. Uh, the Greek word, uh, I mispronounce it, but everybody mispronounces it this way, is metanoia. 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 Oh, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Metanao. Um, and you know what the word meta means, right? If you're an internet user, like metadata and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's like the over data or the data that comes later, that sort of thing. Meta is one of those accompaniment words. It can mean with, over, afterwards, as a result as, as a result of something like that. And then noia means new, new. So literally the word means uh, to, uh, to reconsider or to change your mind. Or, you know, or to consider and to think the thought that comes afterwards. That's kind of what, what the Greek su um, suggests. So when Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, it's like he's saying, hey, change your mind. The news is good. That's how it would have sounded. Uh, he didn't actually speak in Greek. He spoke in Aramaic. But I, I think that was sort of how it would have come uh, across. Uh, it's like uh, updating software. You guys, you know, on your, on your phones, you get those update signals all the time. How many of you accept the updates when they come in? Okay, so like one out of, okay, 1% of us. How many of you reject the updates all the time? All right, well, you're bad Christians. <laughs> you're bad Christians because repentance means to update, right? And a lifestyle of repentance means to update constantly, be a, a very changeful person update little software updates or occasionally update in a big way when you need it. How many of you have needed big updates from time to time? Big turns, right? And that's where they're like, uh, man, you need, the, you need a 180 on that. That's where that really makes sense. Changing your mind to align with godly truth. Repentance. Changing your mind to align with godly truth literally what it means. The presumption, of course, being if you change your perception, if you change your thinking, if you change your mind, you're probably going to change your life, right? You're probably going to follow through on that. But follow through is the discipleship part, you know. Discipleship is follow through. Uh, we say it all the time. Repentance in the gospel is linked uh, to kingdom flow, right? It releases the order of heaven in you and around you if you are a good repenter. I just made that word up. Repenter. As opposed to repentance uh, being linked just to uh, repenting from sin or getting forgiven. How many of you associate sin and forgiveness with the word repentance? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a connection there because if you update your mind, you're like, oh, I shouldn't do that thing. That's an update. I'm going to walk away from that particular thing. I'll call that a sin. I'll call that a harm, and I'm going to leave it behind. Do you need to repent in order to be forgiven? Actually, according to the Gospels, no. Um, but by all means, repent anyway. You know, repent anyway. But one of the problems that Jesus had with religious people that he went around forgiving willy-nilly, like in Mark chapter 2. You remember when the guy was lowered through the roof? And Jesus says, be encouraged, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees are like, 
you can't just forgive. You know, the guy didn't even repent. He didn't even say anything. And it's like, Jesus is like, oh, yeah, so you believe that I have authority to forgive. Be healed, you know, paralyzed man. And he got up and walked. Like, forgiveness, getting forgiven by God, super, super easy. Super, super easy. Accepting God's forgiveness might require you to update your software. So that's how that works. Is everybody following? Right? You don't, you don't repent in order to get forgiveness. You repent in order that you might accept it and live in it and walk in it. And then you're a new person. Accepting God's forgiveness is, if you're going to define conversion, that might be a good definition. Do you accept what God has already offered you? Yes or no? As opposed to, I got to get God to forgive me. You have misunderstood God. You have misunderstood God. That's why it's good news. <laughs> That's why it's good news. Change your thinking. It's not, it's not like you don't have to like kill a bunch of sheep. You don't have to like nail all the laws. You don't have to be a Pharisee to get the order of heaven moving in your life. I've got good news for you. But you probably need to change your software and, and the way that you understand all of it. And let's get moving. Give it away. You know, it was very presumptive uh, the way that Jesus uh, explained it. So let's just go through a few verses uh, Jesus talks about this repentance thing to see, to see how it's linked with stuff, uh, kingdom stuff. Uh, I've said this a number of times during the sermon series. The thesis statement um, of Jesus' ministry was the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but the way he introduces it in various gospels, as in Matthew uh, 4.17, is from that time on, Jesus began to preach. So this was the beginning. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Reconsider everything. The kingdom of heaven is touchable. Um, so, have you considered that today in this place we can experience the power of heaven? Did you come in with your mind geared to experiencing life change and healing and the voice of God and the character of God tangibly, manifestly, immediately right now. Is that how you came in? Or do you need an update? <laughs> or do you need to hit that button and update your software? So that, that, that's kind of how Jesus started uh, his, his ministry. Uh, this is what repentance was initially uh, linked to. Um, <clears throat> Repent and believe the good news. I think a lot of times you need to repent in order to believe the good news. Right? You need to be willing to change something in order to get all of that kingdom wonder and power flowing uh, in, in your life. A lot of time, the change and the belief happen, need to happen simultaneously. Like with our friend Katerina, I started making changes and trying things, and then eventually I realized I believe. <laughs> uh, it's like, well, you probably believe in Jesus, but maybe you don't believe that the kingdom is going to happen for you this moment today. Well, change that up, guys. Change that up. And of course, you know, I preach to myself. I need to do the same thing. Uh, sometimes until you change that up, you can't believe in the things that you need to believe in. 
And if you can't believe in the things you need to believe them, if you don't have the faith for the things, then it's hard for them to happen. You understand? And so we embrace repentance and change and update in order to believe what we need to believe to live the life we ought to live. Am I saying that well enough? If so, give me an uproarious standing ovation, or at least a snap. Chintzy, that's what you are, you're chintzy. If you want giant slaying faith, just change something, right? You're going to have to change yourself to get there. You're going to have to figure out what to, what to change. It's good news. Uh, and if you want some new goods, change it up. Yeah, that was good, yeah? Sonia appreciated it. And she's listened to my silliness for 31 years. Mark 6 is another one that we've covered in this sermon series when Jesus sent out the disciples without him for the first time. Uh, just, just for the record, he gives them uh, the same message. You know, uh, these were his instructions. He says to them, take nothing for your journey. Uh, don't take any money. Do a bunch of miracles when you go. They went out and preached that people should repent. That's what they preached. They preached repentance. You know, they didn't preach I mean, what else could they have preached? They didn't preach miracles. They did miracles with their preaching. You know, they didn't preach um, history. You know, they didn't preach religion. They didn't preach any of that. They went out and preached that people needed to update. It's like, you, all need, you need to reconceive of how the universe works. You need to reconceive of how God works. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and, and healed them. Repentance leads to all the rest, right? And what you're looking for, what you're trying to convince people to do is to kind of be flexible and to change. And once they're there, once they're out of the gray, then the rest of it is possible. That makes sense? Yep. Snaps, again. Um, and then finally, X... Uh, verse 38, which just shows, is just an example of, now this is the church after Jesus has raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. So the guys are on their, on their own uh, at this point. And uh, Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit fills the church and, and the meeting spills out into the streets and Peter stands up and he gives his very first sermon ever and uh, very first public sermon ever, and like 3,000 people come to faith at the altar call, so it's a fairly successful beginning uh, for his preaching career. And the crowd is listening to him explain about Jesus, and, uh, and they're cut to the heart, it says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, and they said to Peter, what shall we do? Okay, now they're open. And Peter replied, repent, and be baptized, which was a ceremony of rebirth and new beginning, right? Die and live again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it links to fresh starts, freedom from sin, and empowerment, right? It's like... Because you repent, because you are reborn, you know what? You get all of this power as well. All of the power that you have seen in us. Repentance is the gateway to kingdom flow, is basically uh, what the teaching is. Um, 
I uh, read a lot of history, I read a lot of church history, I read a lot of revival history. You guys know what a revival is. Every once in a while, throughout the history of Christianity, and this is the only faith system on earth for which this is true. That every once in a while in the history of Christianity, there's a revival, like there's this mass movement that seemingly comes out of nowhere, and lots and lots of people come to faith at once. that doesn't happen to any religious system except Christianity. It's, it's a curiosity of history that no one in college will ever talk about. But uh, one of the things that makes Christianity historically unique. Well, I, my, my theory is that conviction is really the spirit of revival. Uh, whether it's personal conviction or public conviction. What happens in revivals is that in, in group meetings, people are struck with conviction that they need to change. That's what conviction is. It's, it's an awareness that you need to change. And, and then somebody gives them the opportunity, right? And, and you get acts of repentance. And then power is released. And pretty soon you have a snowball rolling down a hill, right? But it starts with these little um, moments of, of conviction. Uh, if I had more time this morning, we'd go through some of the history, but you can read up on it. It's really interesting. Here's my experience of what that feels like, I think. I've told this story before, but not for years. I was at a big conference in Anaheim, California in 1991. Sonia and me and a few friends I got out there. This was before we were married. Um, and uh, second to last night of this conference, there was this guy preaching that I'd never heard of before. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. He was British, and he was billed as a revivalist. So he was the guy that, you know, at that time, he was probably 80-something, 85 or something. But he was a guy that, you know, sort of classically would go out in the street corner and preach, repent, repent. And he somehow got invited to this conference, was was kind of a... uh, it was very casual. It would have felt like blue water culture. And so it was very odd to have this British guy who dressed in a three-piece suit stand up at the platform and like give the keynote addresses. You're like, who invited this guy? Uh, because that's exactly how he came across. He came across exactly like an 85-year-old revivalist who used to standing on street corners and screaming about repentance. It's exactly how he came across. Uh, and he gave a Bible teaching, and his teachings kind of sucked. They kind of meandered around, you know. And I was like, well, you know, God bless you, man. I mean, you've lived your life for Jesus. And, and, and he was, I remember he was quoting from the Gospel of Luke by memory. Every once in a while, he would just go off, and he would close his Bible, and he would walk away from the lectern, and he would just quote you a passage from the Gospel. I'd be like, well, he loves that, and obviously he lives it, and it's quite impressive, you know. And so that's what was going on. And I was sitting there obediently and thinking, you know, uh, the church is broad. <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of different people in the church. And, and, and that's probably why he got invited. You know, the tent is broad. And we love everybody and everybody contributes. As they, you know, that, that's kind of where I was. And then he gripped the sides of the, the pulpit and he started praying for the crowd. And he started praying for the spirit of repentance to fall. And at the same moment, there were, there were 4,000 people in the auditorium. It was a big warehouse auditorium. And at the same moment, 50% of them hit their face on the ground. And I was one of them. I just like, oh, God. Boom. Right on the floor. I didn't even know why I was on the floor. 
Uh, but it was the spirit of repentance. It was the spirit of conviction. And, and I spent, I don't know how long on the floor, because I did not look up, um, just getting a rug burn on my forehead, weeping my guts out and saying over and over and over again one phrase. And the phrase was, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And what I was saying was, everything and anything I was holding on to in life didn't matter anymore. You know, uh, the word conviction means with victory. Um, so it's like I had, God had victory over all of those things uh, is what was going on. All I wanted was, and I didn't even know, but it had to do with God. You know, it had to do with the kingdom of God. Oh, it's just like, ah, you know. And then gradually I pulled myself up, you know, and I probably lost five pounds of just water. I was down there. And we cleaned ourselves up. And I learned a couple of things that night. One, I learned in reflection. I was reflecting on Mr. Leonard Ravenhill, who passed away uh, fairly shortly thereafter. Is that he ministered the spirit of repentance. Why? Well, because he was all about the spirit of repentance. He was a guy that understood the power of it. I'm not sure he understood everything about the life but he understood that. And, you know, and you give, so very often, you give what you have invested in, you know. Uh, you are resourced in, in the place where you have made sacrifices and updated. And he had made a lot of sacrifices for this. And so when he ministered repentance and conviction to someone, dang it, it, it counted. You know, and, and I have never even since then felt something like that. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. Unfortunately, to this day, I still kind of suck at repentance, but, but the power of it to make a difference, I respect. I respect it. And I wish I were better at it. I'm trying to grow. And then the other thing was, I told you that half the people collapsed and went on their faith, and the other half did not. And you would think that they were like, oh, well, that's a good thing that happened. No, they were offended. Right, the room was split in its attitude. And my pastor, the church I was attending at the time, was at that conference. And as I was leaving the warehouse, just like, ah, there is a God. You know? And he came up to me and patted me on the shoulder. And, and he said, before I said anything, he said, Jordan, I'm so sorry for that. That was so manipulative and fake. And this was a good man. This was a good man who had made a difference for a lot of people. And he, he ran a good church. Um, but it, he did not receive it. And that's how the spirit of repentance works in kingdom movements. It's like nobody stays the same. Nobody has a neutral reaction, right? It changes you or you reject it. And because it's so strong, you have to reject it strongly. When the movement comes with that kind of power, you understand? Now, mostly, when you're invited to repent, there's not much power in it. And so you don't have to react. But if it's real, you have to react. And you will go on your face, or you will make faces at it. <laughs> uh, it is a dangerous thing. It's all about change. And it will change your attitude this way, or it will 
puts you in a, in, a, in a place of disrespect and mocking that you don't want to be, that you never plan to be, even if you're a good person. You know, and you know, he certainly got other chances to repent later, my pastor, um, but I never really liked that moment. And like I say, he was a good man. It's not like God judged him forever or something like that, but I was like, are you kidding me, Mark? That's like the realest moment I've ever had. And he's like, well, I don't know, God bless you. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. Repentance is kind of a lost art. Repentance ministry is a lost art. And what we're trying to do as a church, I've told you this many times, is uh, over the course of this sermon series, is obviously we're trying to get the kingdom of God going strongly in, in a way in our midst because I think the world desperately needs it and I think the world is about to be way more desperate than it is currently. And it, it's really incumbent upon us, the church, this church, Blue Water Mission, our mission is to have the kingdom for the people who are poor in spirit, who, who get desperate and realize that they're in a desperate situation, and then to be able to say, I've got good news, I've got new goods, All right, I've got something for you that will satisfy that hunger, I've got something that will make you feel rich instead of poor, I, I have something that will make you feel happy instead of mournful. I have an answer for the persecuted. I have power, not just words. I've got change for whatever ails you. If you are sick, I can heal you. If you are oppressed, I can free you in Jesus' name. That is us, or it's no one. Because we are the only source in the world, right? The church of Jesus has been the only source. And I think we either get revival or we get dissolution because we've come to one of those points in society where you have to react. And you might think that the message should be a message of great conciliation and gentleness, but the message of repentance doesn't always feel like that. Sometimes the message of repentance is just like, are you ready to change? Right, and it's gonna, you're gonna need to update. You're gonna need to update. Actually, you're not perfect. Actually, you're not perfect just the way you are. You know, actually, it doesn't matter where you come from. It matters where you decide to go. You know, the, the message of repentance is a provocation. And I just think we need to get really, really comfortable with it. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit today. Of course, there's a difference between guilt repentance and grace repentance. You know, re guilt repentance is repent from your sin, you terrible person, you. Uh, otherwise, God will be really angry at you. Well, I mean, there is a judgment, but Jesus usually did a grace repentance, which is like, here's a free offer, and it's really good news, and you get a lot of stuff out of it. Update. Please hurry. Please hurry, because the world is deadly and deceptive, right? That's a little bit different. It's urgent, but it's a little bit different. And Blue Water does grace really, really well, right? We do grace really well. High five somebody and say, we do grace well. We're awesome. We do grace really, really well. We do compassion pretty good, right? We're, we're, we're nice people. We also have to do repentance really well. Okay? We have to do repentance really well. It's the difference between paralysis and confidence. You know, repentance ultimately brings confidence. So here's, here's my application point. We'll just end on this. Uh, and the prayer team can get ready.
How do you repent? Like, any of you need to repent? Yeah? Do you need to? Let me ask the question again. How many of you are satisfied with your life? Did your answer change? Hopefully your thankfulness level didn't change. Have you, have you changed a lot over the past 10 years? If so, you're probably a pretty good, decent repenter. How much do you want to change over the next 10 years? You know, these are great questions to ask ourselves. What is the thing in your life, whether a thing that you're doing or things that you're not doing, that you need to change? The Holy Spirit's pretty faithful, and he'll bring these things up from time to time. There's probably like 100 things that you need to change, uh, but he's faithful, and he will suggest one or two in order because he's a great shepherd that way. Um, how, do you, how do you go about changing it? First, change your attitude about that thing. That's always the first one, okay? Metanoia. Change your understanding. Change your perception. That's first. Faith is an attitude. So you have to change your attitude about the thing. Um, changing your mind. And that's a point at which I often go back to the spirit. I say, well, here's something in my life. It's just not working. Right? Clearly, I need to be thinking about it different. Clearly, I need to update my attitude. I need to you know, approach it with a different attitude. What is it, Lord? You know, what would you say about that? You know, what, what lie am I believing? What truth am I not embracing? You know, and, and I kind of have that attitudinal conversation with God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do I get to the attitude? What is the attitude? Characterize it for me. Suggest something to me. Give me a picture. But I know that if I want to bring change, first I have to have a different attitude about the thing that I want change. And then, of course, follow through on it somehow. And that's where the discipleship comes from. But you won't follow through on it really well until you metanoia, <laughs> until you repent. First the mind, then the grind. I'm hot today. First the mind, and, and, and then the grind. So I've tried to be not very Leonard Ravenhill as I talked about repentance uh, this morning. I haven't pointed a finger once during the sermon, though I'm about to. I'd like to end by calling people's sins out. <laughs> and uh, I mean, maybe not, maybe not the sins that God will call out, but the ones that really aggravate me. <laughs> no, but I'd like to. So would you. Yes. Um, pick me, pick me. Let's all do Jameson. I just wanted us to understand what repentance is. So we'll just warm to the ministry, you know? And then when we feel in our spirit, oh, there might be some conviction coming from the Lord, that we actually like it, that we actually like it that we understand that its job is to release the kingdom in us, right? Uh, and you know, I, I, 
uh, Googled this morning, you know, Christian repentance definitions, and eight out of ten of them said the word remorse. Um, you know, it's like the important thing is to feel remorseful. No, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, that's not, maybe. I mean, like when I screw up, I often feel remorseful about it. Um, but that's not the point, right? I mean, that's not the functional definition of repentance. The functional definitions of, re- of repentance is to change, is to update, just to grow, right? And maybe it's going to be sacrificial. Maybe, I f- oh, I have to let that go. Or, you know what, to follow through on this, I really, I really should go apologize to Vern. Um, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know for what, but over the years, there must be many, many things, um, right? Um, but I just wanted us to understand what it is and to give space for the Spirit to uh, offer you software updates that you will accept instead of reject. And then hopefully some of us become fantastic repentance ministers like Mr. Leonard Ravenhill, who made such a difference in my life in one evening. Um, right? And I think that's part of our kingdom journey. Holy Spirit, I pray um, that you would convict us um, and uh, do some metanoia uh, in the room, that you would change our minds. That you would give us an ability to see things in a different way. Because how are we going to perceive if we cannot see how are we going to grow if, if, if we're not convicted? Be specific, Lord. Send lances of repentance into our life so that we become who we need to be and get where we need to be. Speak, Lord. Move, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to make a difference, to make an update. I give you permission in this place to be a dangerous God. A dangerous God. Can I have the prayer ministry team come forward, please? We need to wrap this up and make room for second service and go get the cakey that we have deposited in there. But if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you individually, give it some time and give it some honor. Um, uh, A big chunk of our prayer ministry team is away at a conference. We have actually two groups that are away. Um, So you might need some patience or just ask a friend for prayer. Um, I felt like a phrase that we need to carry away this morning is that phrase, dangerous God. He's dangerous. Uh, Respect the change that he brings. Otherwise, you'll end up disparaging it. You know, embrace uh, the 
difference that he can make. Otherwise, you will become boring and disengaged. Let's stand and dismiss. I think some good dramatic times are coming for us guys. God bless you for being part of it. I pray, Father, that you would perfect your agenda for every person. I pray that we'd all be changed at least a little bit before we go. I pray that you would make us people of repentance and people that lose repentance in the world. Uh, we may not be very good at that, Lord, but we submit to it as an object of your discipleship of our lives. We open our hands and our heart to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody says...